Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to episode 13 of the UK's first Freedom of Information podcast. I'm Ibrahim Hassan. In May and June 2008, the Information Commissioner published 43 decisions, whilst the Information Tribunal published 10. I'm here to guide you through some of these. In this episode, we'll be discussing decisions on the definition of information and when it is held by the public authority, vexatious requests, Section 17 and the Public Interest Test, Section 36 and requests about FOI requests, when statistics can still be personal data, the long-running saga of MPs' expenses, disclosure of addresses, and when contract and financial information can be withheld under Section 43. Freedom of information gives access to information held by a public authority. It does not, though, require information to be created where it does not exist at the time of the request. Public authorities often receive FOI requests for lists of information. In many cases, this will not be information which the public authority holds in list form, but the constituent data parts will be held in various sources. Common response to such requests is that the information is simply not held, because the public authority is not in possession of a physical list. Some public authorities have claimed that responding to such a request would involve the creation of new information. The Commissioner disagrees with this approach and has said so in a recent decision involving the Cabinet Office dated the 18th of June. The complainant asked for a list of requests made to the Cabinet Office showing in each instance the date of the Cabinet Office's response and whether the request resulted in full, partial or non-disclosure of information. The Cabinet Office responded that the information was not held. It argued that the process of gathering the information requested into a list constituted information creation, an activity which the Act does not require public authorities to undertake. The Commissioner disagreed and instructed the Cabinet Office to provide the complainant with the requested information or, should they estimate that to do so would exceed the appropriate limit, provide the complainant with an indication of what information can be provided within the limit to assist him to reframe his request. Another question for a public authority dealing with the request is whether it holds the requested information or whether it is held on behalf of another party. If it is the latter, then, under Section 3 of the Act, it is not information which is subject to the Act. A recent Information Tribunal decision sheds more light on this issue. In Enos McBride and the Information Commissioner and the Ministry of Justice, dated the 27th of May, the Tribunal ruled that whether or not a public authority holds information on behalf of another is simply a question of fact to be determined on the evidence. This case involved a request by a student to see his complaint file held by the visitor to the University of London. This is a person whose function has now been abolished, who had responsibility for dealing with university complaints. The Ministry of Justice argued that the information was held on behalf of another. The tribunal disagreed. It gave weight to the fact that in this case the public authority managed and controlled the information, it could edit and delete it, and could decide to whom to send it and from whom to withhold it. It was not a case of the information being simply on the authority's premises. This case backs up the Information Commissioner's view, as set out in his FOI Awareness Guidance Number 12, where he states that information is held on behalf of another where the public authority is merely acting as a repository for the information or providing a means of communication of the information. 
In episode 9, we discuss the Information Commissioner's decision involving East Riding of Yorkshire Council, where the Commissioner agreed with the Council that the request was vexatious. The available evidence demonstrated a pattern of requests, and even though the request in question appeared reasonable in isolation, considered in context, it could be justifiably judged as obsessive and unreasonable. The complainant appeared to be using the request for information as a continuation of his previous requests and complaints to the council. This decision has now been upheld by the Tribunal on Appeal in Graham Betts and the Information Commissioner, dated the 19th of May. I've noticed that it's the first time, though, that a tribunal decision has not been unanimous. One lay member disagreed with the majority, and his dissenting judgment makes interesting reading. Normally under Section 17, a public authority has got to disclose the requested information within 20 working days of the request, or issue a refusal notice. Under Section 17 2 and 3, where no decision has been reached in relation to the public interest test, the authority must say in its refusal notice, and then communicate that decision within such a time as is reasonable in the circumstances. These provisions are not an excuse for the public authority to extend the time limit and procrastinate unreasonably. The Commissioner has issued a good practice guidance note on this point, stating that in exceptional circumstances, the total time to reach a decision on the public interest test should be no later than the 40th working day. In a decision involving the National Offender Management Service dated the 26th of June, the complainant requested information relating to indeterminate sentences. The public authority replied that Section 35, Formulation of Government Policy, was engaged and that it would carry out a public interest test within a target time frame. The time frame was readjusted on three separate occasions before the complainant made a complaint to the Commissioner. The Commissioner found that a delay of over six months in carrying out a public interest test was a breach of Section 17.3. This is more surprising since the service was made the subject of a practice recommendation only six weeks earlier. Increasingly, public authorities are facing FOI requests about FOI requests. This has caused information professionals some concern that their often frank comments about requesters and how to deal with them may be disclosed. Section 36 provides a possible exemption. Subsection 2b allows information to be withheld if, in the reasonable opinion of the qualified person, disclosure would or would be likely to inhibit the free and frank provision of advice or the free and frank exchange of views for the purpose of deliberation. This exemption was claimed by the Home Office in a decision dated 30th of June when a complainant requested documents relating to internal communications held by the Home Office relating to his company's use of the Freedom of Information Act. So reluctant was the Home Office to release the information, even to the Information Commissioner, that the latter had to serve an information notice. Having finally received the information, the Commissioner found that the Section 36 exemption was engaged. He decided, applying the leading tribunal decision on this exemption, Guardian and Brooke and the Information Commissioner, that the qualified person's opinion under Section 36 was reasonable in substance and reasonably arrived at. However, he ruled that the public interest favoured disclosure. In reaching this decision, the Commissioner considered the severity, extent and frequency of the prejudice if the information was disclosed. He rejected the Home Office's argument that disclosure in this case would make officials responsible for providing advice and recording information less likely to perform their duties properly. He also considered that in this case the timing of the request was important. 
At the time of the request, all the complainant's FOI requests to the Home Office, falling within the scope of this request, had been resolved one way or the other. He therefore did not consider that in this case, disclosure of the information would be circumventing the normal FOI review procedure, but could have the positive effect of increasing confidence in the robustness of the public authority's internal procedures for handling information requests. For those considering requests under Section 36, there is a useful summary of the public interest factors to be considered in an Information Commissioner decision involving Warwickshire County Council dated the 16th of June. We will discuss the facts later under Section 43. The Section 40 exemption provides exemptions from disclosure of personal data. In Episode 8, we discussed a decision involving Cambridge University which stated that Section 40 could cover statistical information as well as personal data. This point has been discussed further by the Commissioner in a decision involving Rhonda County Borough Council dated the 19th of May. This concerned disclosure of statistical information relating to individuals excluded from schools as a result of drug fines. Some information was provided, but the Council refused to provide information at an individual school level, citing the exemption at Section 40. The Commissioner agreed that any disclosure of the information withheld would be unfair and therefore breached the first data protection principle. In considering fairness, he first considered whether disclosure of the requested information would lead to the identification of the individuals to whom the information relates. He took account of Recital 26 of the European Data Protection Directive, which states that whether or not the individual is identifiable will depend on all the means likely to be used, either by the data controller or by any other person, to identify the said person. Applying that to this case, the Commissioner looked at various factors including other information already in the public domain and whether information not currently in the public domain would be likely to be placed in the public domain in the future, including as a result of FOI requests. In coming to his conclusion, the Commissioner stated that there is an expectation that schools and local authorities will not disclose the reasons for individuals being excluded. The information withheld could provide significant biographical details of individual young people that may not widely be known in their communities. The long-running saga of MPs' expenses finally came to a head in June when the High Court ruled that MPs should disclose more information about how they spend their £22,000 additional cost allowance. This is the now famous case about the John Lewis list, the Corporate Office of the House of Commons and the Information Commissioner and others. The High Court agreed with the earlier tribunal and commissioner decisions that the public had a right to know the information and the MP's expectations of privacy were not reasonable. The Court also upheld a decision by the Information Tribunal that MPs' private addresses should be made public as part of the disclosures, arguing that they were not very private at all. It pointed out that MPs' addresses were already disclosed when they sought nomination for election, that company directors had to provide a residential address, and that everyone's full address was recorded in libraries or town halls. They did agree with the earlier tribunal decision that concluded that MPs could keep their address secret if they had a special security reason, for example, because of a problem with a stalker or a terrorist or other criminal threat. The Information Commissioner has welcomed this decision in the spirit of openness and transparency. He's also produced more guidance on disclosing home addresses. Another interesting Information Tribunal decision sheds more light on this issue of disclosure of addresses. 
In Anthony Turcote and the Information Commissioner on the London Borough of Camden, dated the 12th of June, the appellant challenged the council's decision to disclose redacted addresses of housing association properties. It had removed house and flat numbers on grounds of personal data under Section 40. It argued that to disclose the full addresses of the properties, when taken with electoral roll information, would allow individual occupiers to be identified. Because the qualification criteria for housing by the Housing Association, CHG, included homelessness or significant housing needs, the data would permit individuals to be identified as part of a distinct and potentially vulnerable group. The Commissioner agreed with this approach. This decision is in line with previous decisions which stated that whilst addresses could be disclosed, any which are occupied by vulnerable groups can be withheld under Section 40. See Braintree District Council and Mid-Devon District Council, decisions discussed in Episode 4, which concerned requests for details of council tenants. The timing of a request continues to be of paramount importance when it comes to considering access to contracts and the Section 43 exemption. In a decision involving Mid-Suffolk District Council dated the 19th of June, the Information Commissioner ordered the Council to release a contract with a commercial partner, including the financial details. This concerned work carried out at Mid-Suffolk Leisure Centre. The Commissioner dismissed the possibility that releasing the contract would be likely to prejudice the commercial interests of the Council or the contractor. The Council initially provided a redacted version of the contract, but told the requester that it was unwilling to release the financial details. The Commissioner refused to accept that disclosure would be likely to lead to any change in the tendering process or undermine the Council's ability to achieve best value. The contract in question dated back to 2004. He also refused to accept the Council's suggestion that disclosure would deter organisations from entering into business with public authorities on the basis that Council contracts are a lucrative source of business for commercial organisations. The Commissioner emphasised the importance of the Information Tribunal's decision in the case of Derry City Council and the Information Commissioner concerning the need for convincing arguments to demonstrate the likely prejudice to third parties' commercial interests. The Commissioner stated that it may be the case that a public authority can provide evidence to indicate that a third party has been consulted. If this is not possible, it should at least be obvious that the arguments are the genuine concerns of the third party itself and not, for example, the Council's own thoughts on the matter. Another interesting decision on the application of Section 43 concerns Plymouth Primary Care Trust dated the 5th of June. The complainant requested a copy of a contract agreed by the PCT for the provision of an independent treatment centre. He also requested copies of correspondence concerning the contract. The PCT refused to disclose some of the requested information on the basis of various exemptions, including Section 43.1, Trade Secrets, and 43.2, Prejudicial to Commercial Interests. The Commissioner determined that some of the information contained in the contract relating to how the service provider had calculated its prices was exempt under Section 41, and a limited amount of information contained in the additional documents was exempt under Section 40 and Section 43. He ordered the disclosure of the remainder of the information. In coming to its view on Section 43, the Commissioner considered the following factors, which are useful to bear in mind for those considering similar requests and wishing to argue that disclosure would prejudice their authorities' commercial interests. 
the Commissioner considered the degree of similarity between the contract for the treatment centre and other negotiations ongoing at the time of the request, the nature of the information that was withheld, and additional arguments raised by the Trust relating to the prejudicial effect of the disclosure of the withheld information. In episode 7, we discussed access to audit reports of an NHS Trust in the context of section 36. The decision in Warwickshire County Council, dated the 16th of June, is useful to consider when considering requests for audit reports about a contract. The complainant in this case requested a section of an internal audit report of a contract between the council and a private company for the purposes of highways maintenance. The Commissioner's decision was that Section 43 did not apply to the information requested. On the face of it, this is a classic case of the public having the right to see information about a contract or the performance of a contractor. However, in this case, the Commissioner was satisfied that the information was not targeted at providing an audit of the performance of the contractor. Rather, it concentrated on the performance of the council in managing the contract and in suggesting methods of increasing efficiency of that management in the future. The Commissioner was satisfied that a disclosure of the information would not cast a poor reflection on the performance of the contractor, as this had not been addressed within the report. There were areas where the actions of the contractor were considered, however, these were generally considered for the purpose of evaluating the Council's performance management rather than a direct consideration of the contractor's services. On the issue of sensitivity of the information, the Commissioner noted that the section of the report which was in question did not provide an overview of the manner in which the services were provided by the contractor to the Council or of the costs and profit margins of the contractor in carrying out the work involved. The Commissioner was therefore satisfied that a disclosure of this section of the report would not provide information of commercial significance to the contractor's competitors to any great degree. That concludes this month's podcast. Don't forget, all these decisions will be discussed in my forthcoming Freedom of Information Update Workshop. More details at www.actnow.org.uk This podcast was brought to you by me, Ibrahim Hassan. I specialise in all aspects of information rights law, particularly freedom of information, data protection and surveillance law. My clients include local authorities, the NHS and government agencies. I'm also happy to give second opinions on complex FOI requests received by public authorities. If you'd like to take advantage of this service, please get in touch. Thank you for listening, and until the next time, goodbye 